Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, we thank you for what we've sang this morning, that you are for us, that, uh, that knowing you, Lord God, is, is our, our highest goal. Um, Lord God, that, uh, that, that you're honored, Lord, by, uh, by us when we seek after you and want to know you, Lord God. Uh, Father, I pray, Lord, take these words and, uh, and, and, and bury them deep in our hearts, Lord God. Uh, hit them, Lord, let, let them hit, uh, hit us like, uh, like it was for the first time that we've, that we've heard it and not to be, um, have, have been so redundant that we're, that we're immune to it anymore. But to have a God who is for us, to have a God who desires us to seek after and to pursue him, uh, Lord God, is a, uh, is a blessing. Um, it, it is uh, it is all consuming of our lives. It's a the thing that that should drive us. It's a thing that that ought to be the uh, um, the motive behind everything else that we do, Lord God, to know you, um, uh, you the greatest being, the greatest uh, uh, the love that we've ever seen, the greatest love we've ever known. When you demonstrated your love for us, uh, and that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Uh, Lord God, we've never seen such love. We've never understood so much love. Um, we've never understood a, a God who's who's for us. We've never understood a person who, who um, even though he, was, he is higher than us and greater than us, uh, works on our behalf. Um, no one's ever seen, no, one, no one's ever heard of such a thing uh, except uh, our God. And so, Father, we, we come to you this morning. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us the, the spirit of revelation, wisdom, that we might know you better. Uh, Lord God, today, and that, Lord, in knowing you, we might love you no more. Uh, be with us now, Lord God. May we honor you, Lord, by, by the words that are spoken, Lord God, uh, and uh, by the words, Lord, as, as we hear them. Uh, Father, they may, may they turn into obedience and action, Lord God, I pray, uh, not just more knowledge. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, kiddos, if you'd like to be dismissed for Children's Church, you follow Miss Sherilyn out the back. Okay, last week we last week we got to talk a little about the uh, Laodiceans. You remember in Revelations chapter three is the last church that that Jesus spoke about. And you remember um, there were some things that were kind of unusual about the church in Laodicea. One is they were very wealthy, and in their wealth, in their in their in their material goods, they didn't realize that they had any need from God. And the uh, the thing that happened to them was that they became lukewarm in their faith. And even ends the letter, Jesus would end that, that letter to, the, to that church. He'd say, I'm on the outside and I'm knocking. If you'll let me in, we can have fellowship together. But somehow in their lukewarmness and somehow in their, their lack of understanding that they had any need from God, they had left Christ outside. Uh, pretty amazing. Uh, but uh, that's a warning for all of us who follow Christ today. Um, but anyway, we talked about that last week. We talked about how very pleased God is to meet our needs. He desires to be the source of, of meeting your needs. He is honored when we do it. Uh, he is honored when we look to him for things, you know, for all things in this life, for, for things like righteousness, for things like uh, 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 joy, for things like peace in our lives. He's honored uh, by those things. Um, I, I uh, had the opportunity to um, um, do a funeral, uh, what do you say, officiate, that's the official term, right? Officiate a funeral uh, yesterday. And, and uh, you know, when, when someone's grieving, when someone's lost someone, 
there's only really one place you can point them. You know, is the only place you can point them is to Christ. The only place you can point them is the hope that we have is that God's got a better place for us and that we can all be together one day. And, and all that is captured in Jesus Christ and all that he's done uh, at the cross. But it's not just at times of comfort that we need God, right? You and I talked a little bit last week, and, and I asked you, what things do you need from God? What are you looking for him for? What are, you, what are you on your knees praying to receive from him? What do you need from him? And just to, so that we don't lose practice, would you, can we do this again today? What do you need from God? Wisdom? Mercy? Joy? Guidance? Grace? Hope. What else? Mercy, love, yes. To know he's there with us, that's right. What else? Listen, in all aspects of life, there is need for God because we were created, right, with this huge hole. Blaise Pascal, I think, was the first one to describe it. We are created with a huge hole in our lives that can only be filled up by the divine, only can be filled up by God. And in every aspect of our lives, we need him. Amen? We were created this way to be creatures who needed their God, who needed their creator. Uh, amen. And uh, we find that when we, when we meet him, uh, when we find him. That's why it's so important that Christ came to redeem us and reconnect us with God, with God because we needed him all along, but we couldn't have access to him because of our sin. But because Jesus Christ through the cross put away our sin about just what we read in Colossians, now we can reconnect with him and we can have fulfillment in our lives that we couldn't have before. Amen? Amen. Okay. Genesis chapter 15. I've been reading an interesting book. It's talking about, it's the names of God, and it's very interesting. It starts back in Genesis, and it starts talking about the, forgive me for using a little theological terminology this morning, but it's the biblical revelation of God. And what that means is, is that when you start in Genesis chapter 1, and you start working your way through the scriptures, there is a revelation in God's word about whatever topic you're looking at. Well, in this topic, I'm just looking at, we're just looking at uh, the revelation of who God is and how he, how he uh, revealed himself to people. And it's very interesting when you read, and we're not going to go there this morning, but you should look later. It's very fascinating stuff. When you look in Genesis chapter 12, Abram uh, has this vision or, or something. He hears God speaking to him, and God just basically tells him without telling him who he is. He just says, leave the land of your father and go to a place I'll show you. Right? And God was not known by him. In fact, we, we, uh, his, his uh, father, Abram's father, was, a, uh, was an idol worshiper uh, and did not know God that we know of. And, and so we think that Abram, just on the command of God, just set out without knowing much about him and just set out and did kind of basically what God told him to do. He wasn't exact in his obedience, but he was, he was fairly close because uh, he's not perfect just like we're not perfect. But he set out in obedience and he... Uh, and he took on the promised land. Well, three chapters later in Genesis chapter 15, if you've got your Bibles with you, in Genesis chapter 15, we're going to see the first revelation, really, of who God is. Clay and I were taking, talking about this yesterday, and Clay brought up an excellent point. Um, revelation for Abram came after what? Obedience. When God told him to go, and then later he told him who he was. It wasn't the other way around, right? We always want God to tell us, well, tell me, tell me where I'm going first, and I'll kind of debate it in my mind to see if I want to be obedient to you. Well, that's not how it works, is it? Uh, obedience always comes before revelation. Uh, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, it says this. This is a very, the very first time 
uh, uh, kind of after the, the creation and the fall, that we see that God's really, uh, again, speaking into humanity, speaking to the patriarchs here, begins speaking to the patriarchs with Abram in Genesis chapter 15, and he says this in verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. So here for the first time, we have God describing himself to Abram about who he is. And, and, and this, this uh, revelation of God goes, of course, all the way throughout Scripture until ultimately it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ when we actually get to see how God works and what he looks like and what he does uh, and, and the mercy he shows in love. We get to see really in Jesus Christ a fulfillment uh, because in Jesus all the fullness of God dwelt in him, we know from Colossians. But in, uh, in Genesis chapter 15, the idea, the understanding of God was really very early, very new. We didn't have the law, we didn't have the prophets, we didn't have Moses at this time. And so these words are very intriguing about God introducing himself to Abram. And he tells him in his fear, he says, Abram, in your fear, don't be afraid because... I am your shield and your very great reward. We could talk this morning a little bit about what it means for God to be his shield, but over and over and over again, even in Abram's weaknesses and failings and lies, God would cover him and protect him. Everybody who knows the story, say amen. It's true, isn't it? Yeah, even in his lies, even in his weakness, even in his sin, God was protecting Abram because why? Well, he said he would. I am going to be your shield. But that's not it. The thing that I want to really focus on this morning is that he said that he told to Abram, I am your very great reward. This is an incredible verse to me, an incredible statement to me that that God would say this so very early in the understanding of who he is that he would say, I am your very great reward. Because here's the deal, is that you and I as Christians in modern society have this idea about Christianity of duty, right? that God speaks and I obey, and that's the way it's supposed to work. Well, God here very early in the scriptures, very early in Genesis says, I am your dictator. I am your Lord. I am your master. No, he says, I am your reward. There's something about this theme, because if you look with me, I don't have this on the, on the overhead this week, but this is why we're calling the uh, sermon series The Rewarder. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, you know, you want to know how to please God. Here it says right here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must do two things. They must believe that he exists and two, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You want to know something about God. It's right there in Genesis 15 and all the way in the back of the book, almost in Hebrews chapter 11. You want to know about God? He is a rewarder. He rewards those who who seek him, right? This is not something that, 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 that happens whenever you're, you're thinking in your mindset that Christianity is all about faith and duty and God says something and I'm just supposed to go act on it. No, God is your reward. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46, turn there if you've got your Bibles with you this morning. Matthew 13. Jesus is telling his parable. Matter of fact, he's telling a, a number of parables here in Matthew chapter 13, and all of them have to do about the kingdom of God and discovering the kingdom of God or, or, or people being separated because of the response to the kingdom of God. But in Matthew chapter 13, two of the short, shortest parables in the book, verse 44 through 46, Jesus said this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Pretty amazing stuff. But let's uh, go through this just a little bit here at a time. There's so many times when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, and I want to just describe that for you. I want to want to help you understand it. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven is synonymous with the kingdom of God. They're used synonymously, interchangeably. But the kingdom of God is the present and future saving reign of God and of Christ. Okay, that's a, a lot to take in. What that means is is the kingdom of God is God's rule over mankind, and there's talk about, you know, Jesus would say the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning that it was here, it was present, it was happening right now. And in, 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 that, in that respect, when Jesus came, he was fulfilling and bringing the kingdom of God or the rule of God over the earth and over mankind and over people. And there's discussion in the, in the scriptures about us being rescued from the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son that he loves, right? There's a translation that when God rescues us from darkness, we're placed over from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom or the rule or the reign of God, right? The kingdom of God Jesus spoke about so many times had so much to do about salvation and redemption. You need to know that. The active work of Jesus whenever he's proclaiming and talking about the kingdom of God coming, there were, there were people being healed. There was sickness being driven out. There were people who were experiencing freedom from disease and from de- demonic oppression. And, and there were people who were being saved and trusting and beginning to have faith in Jesus Christ. And there was a ruling, guiding sovereign, reigning aspect of God. And Jesus, whenever he spoke, the kingdom of God, the reign and the rule of God is like this. It's a treasure in a field. It's a pearl of great value. That's the kingdom and the reign and the rule of God. And let me give you just the, you know, parables are written to have like a main point and they're not really meant to, to dissect and take apart and, and every single aspect, you know, observed so that every single thing can be proven. They're given to give you a very clear uh, uh, main point. And the main point of this is what? Is that the kingdom of God is more valuable than everything else in this life, right? The, 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 the first guy comes and he stumbles on a field and a treasure in a field. And he, what does he do? He covers it back up because... He's got a plan, right? In his joy, it says, he sells everything else to obtain the treasure in that field. That is the value of the kingdom of God, is that it doesn't matter whatever else you come with. If you lose it all, but you gain the kingdom of God, if you gain God's rule in your life and his sovereignty over you, if you can gain that in your life and lose everything else, you've come out ahead. You're truly blessed. You are happy. You've made a great trade if you've done that, right? If you lose everything else, but you gain the kingdom of God, but you gain Christ in your life, then you've come out ahead. You're truly blessed. You're truly joyful. The kingdom of God, uh, um, let's see. Um, yeah, so, so here's the deal. The value of the kingdom of God is what? So valuable that everything else pales in comparison. Right, there would be times there would be scriptures in in Luke where where Jesus would talk and he said, you know, if you don't hate your father and mother and your wife, then you're not worthy of following me. Right? You were taught how to interpret that, right, when you were a child. How, how do you interpret that? If 
you don't hate your father, mother, and your wife, then you're not worthy of following me. You were taught how to interpret that, right, when you were younger. How do you interpret that? That's right. When, if, if you're not counting God more valuable than your own flesh and blood, and actually it, it would later he would say your, your father, mother, wife, or your own life, then you're not worthy of following me. If you don't love me more than these, right, that's how we interpret that. That's how we understand that because the Scripture certainly doesn't teach us in other parts of the Scripture that we're supposed to hate our families, right? That's, that's not scriptural. But Jesus was using a vivid expression and trying to get people's attention. Listen, you've got to love me more than anything else in this life or you're not worthy to follow me. More than anything else, right? More than not just treasure, more than not just material things, more than even your families then you're not worthy to follow me. Jesus did a lot of things like that whenever his crowd was getting too thick, it seemed like to me. Whenever there were too many people, uh, he would say, uh, hey, you know what, you're supposed to hate your family. Or he'd say, uh, you know what, you're going to have to eat my flesh and my blood and, and crazy stuff like that and kind of thin the crowd out. But anyway, um, but here's the deal. The kingdom of God is so valuable that losing everything else on earth but getting the kingdom is a happy trade-off. That's the main point, is that we can be happy if we've gained this one thing in this life. Amen? All right. Um, and let me say, let me stop here right here. This is where the prosperity gospel gets it wrong. This is where the people who teach in, in health and wealth gets it wrong. People who teach in health and wealth say that, that, yeah, we're supposed to seek God for our reward, and our reward is success in our job and more material stuff. No, the scripture teaches that success or, 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 or the gain, the, the reward that we get for following God is we gain him. We get him. Forget money, forget cars and houses, forget success at your job. You get Jesus Christ, the most uh, glorious being in all of and outside of all of creation. Amen? Uh, you get him. And this is where the prosperity gospel gets it so wrong. They recognize that we go to God for reward, and that is very true. But he is not the means to an end. He is the end. He is the reward. He is the treasure. He is the pearl of great value. When you have found him, Nothing else matters. Everything else in comparison just pales in comparison to finding him. Amen? He is the reward, not what we get out of him. Ridiculous. Sorry. The, the Apostle Paul, ridiculous. Did I say that? Can I say that a few more times? It is ridiculous. All right. When you hear it on TV and you read it in books, just, uh, you just say that with me. It is ridiculous. Amen? Ridiculous. Thank you, James. That's right. All right. The Apostle Paul also wrote about, um, about losing everything for gaining something more valuable, valuable in Philippians chapter 3. We've talked about this a lot in the last month. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, he said, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's he saying? Everything that I used to think was a benefit to me now is a negative in my life compared to this. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Knowing Christ is more valuable than anything else in this life. Amen. If we lose everything but gain Christ, we've won. Amen. Jesus said something difficult in, uh, that I was talking about in Luke. In, in uh, Matthew chapter 10, he says something very similar to what he says in Luke. He, in chapter 10, verses 37 and through 39, he said, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. 
Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Our love for God should be so great that everything else in this life pales in comparison so much that people should notice. You know what I'm saying? Right? Scripture doesn't teach that we're supposed to hate our, our families. The scripture, what, what Jesus is saying here is in comparison of your love for God and your love to know Christ and your love to have the rule and the reign of God, the kingdom of God in your life, everything else should, should pale in comparison so much that it's like you hate everything else. It's like you hate everything else. Um, oh, man, I'm sorry. I forgot something I was going to say. Um, but anyway, the, the, the treasure in the field is worth everything else in life. The pearl of great value. He is the pearl of great value. And gaining Christ is worth losing everything else. All right. Um, so I want to ask you here, because here's the struggle, is that you and I, we're born with a natural bent away from God. We're bent with a sinful nature. We were bent with what's called original sin. You've heard the term. We were born into sin. And we were born in, in this idea, this aspect uh, in our minds that we look in everywhere else for significance. We look everywhere else for purpose. We look everywhere else uh, for fulfillment and significance in our lives. And we look away from God and we look toward everything else. That is the natural human nature, unfortunately, the sinful nature that is at work in, in all of us, right? It's why, it's why the Apostle Paul said, what a wretched man I am, right? And so there has to be something that happens. There has to be something that transforms us. There has to be something that, that, that changes our mind and changes on our affections and changes our desires toward God and away from the other things that are at work that are uh, in this life. And, and let me say one more time, the things in our lives are not bad, right? Your family is not bad. Food is not bad. Drink is not bad. All of those things are good when they're in their right place, when they are second, when they are subject to the supremacy of Christ in your life, then you can be grateful and thankful for those things. And they're in their appropriate place, and you can thank God for them, right? But Christ is supreme. He is to be supreme in your life and in my life, amen? amen. And everything else is to, is to pale in comparison to him. Okay, so where do we go from here? What's the practical application here? Well, let me just ask you this morning. I just told you that you have a natural bent in your human nature away from God. Yeah? You have a natural bent away from him in your sinful nature. We need transformation. We need to be transformed in our minds, in our desires, in our emotions, because the greatest command is to love God. It is, right? Jesus taught us, he told us very simply, Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with all of your body, all of your being. Love him above everything else. It's the greatest commandment. Okay, so he's the treasure in the field. He's the, he's the, the pearl of great value. He is the, 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 supposed to be the object of our love and affection. So therefore, follow me here, the greatest time you have every day ought to be in meeting with him. The greatest time you have every day, if he's the treasure in the field, if he's the great, the, the pearl of great value, if he's the, supposed to be the object of our affections and in our, in, our, uh, in our mind, soul, body, and strength, if he's supposed to be all of those things, then the greatest time we ought to have every day is in quiet time seeking and chasing and pursuing after him. And everything else in our day 
ought to be a letdown after that. <laughs> All right? Yeah. Here's what I know about you and me. There's something broken, broken in us. True. There's something broken in us because we say and we can see that all these things that I've said today are true, but we can't carry them out. True? You, you can't make Jesus Christ the object of your affection and hold it there forever, right? Because we're broken inside. Our heart and our natural bent is away from God, and there is this war going on within us for our affections and for our attention and for our energy and for our time. And too many times in your life and in my life, we lose the battle. True? Can we be honest this morning? Yes, we can. That's right. This Christian life isn't difficult. It's impossible. <laughs> we don't have the ability. We don't have the strength to hold fast to this thing. We don't have the ability within ourselves to hold fast to this idea that Christ is going to be supreme in my life from this day forward. And then today you walk out and you never look back. It doesn't happen like that. It's a struggle, isn't it? It is. It is. It's a struggle because there's so much in this life that the enemy puts in our way. There's so much in our life that's so self-centered about us looking in every other way, every other place we can for significance and purpose and meaning in our lives in God because of, the, of that sinful nature. And so what we, like Paul says, well, what a wretched man I am. Um, is that where I'm going to end today? No, thank God. You're wretched. Just get out and get back next week. No. Um, there are a couple of places in the scripture I wanted to show you this morning. The first one is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. <clears throat> this is Paul praying for the Ephesians. Listen to what he's asking. Listen to what he prays for. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, yeah, him, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Okay, let's stop there for just a minute. What's he praying for? He asked for the, for the, for the Ephesians, uh, for the spirit to give for, I'm sorry, I'll get this in a minute. To, for God to give them the spirit of what? Wisdom and revelation. That's the Holy Spirit. Brings what? Wisdom and revelation. He brings wisdom and revelation into our lives. Illumination. He brings wisdom and revelation into our lives. And for what purpose? So that you may know him better. So that you may know him better. Here's the thing about God. The more we feed on learning about him, the more love and admiration, and uh, respect, and obedience comes. Now, you and I know, both know people who know the scriptures very well, right? And Jesus talked to some Pharisees who knew the scriptures very well, but he told them, you do not know my Father, right? You can know the scriptures very well. You can understand. You can have dissected them. You can know them better than any of us in this room. But if they haven't turned into love, then you've missed it. You've missed him. <laughs> you missed the treasure, the treasure was is that the end to the scriptures is that you might find God. The end to prayer is that so that you might commune with him. The end to giving and faithfulness and, 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 and tithing and, all, and offerings and all those things is so that you might know him and love him better, right? Paul says, I'm asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to reveal to you the Father so that you may know him better. May I suggest to you, when you sit down for your quiet time, would you just pray that same prayer and say, Lord, Give me your spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I may know you better. So may, I may see you in all of your glory and majesty and that I might fall in love with you all over again. The last scripture I want to show you is in John chapter 16. It's John chapter 17, I'm sorry. This is fascinating stuff. This is Jesus praying for the, uh, 
praying for all of us, actually, in John chapter 17, verse 26. He says something really, a little bit surprising. John chapter 17, verse 26. Jesus is talking now. He's praying to the Father. So here we have Jesus the Son praying to the Father. Just incredible. We have a little bit of the communion of the Trinity here, uh, even though they're, uh, well, anyway. Uh, In verse 26, I have made you known. He's talking to God, saying, I have made you known to them, to his disciples. I've made you known to all of the believers. I've made you known. And will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. What? He's saying, he's praying for the love of the Father, the love that the Father has for Jesus to be in you and me. Almost got us confused. The love that the Father has for the Son, he's praying. He says, I'm praying for your love, God, your love, Father, that you have for me to be in them and that I myself may be in them. You see what Jesus is saying? I'm making them known to you, and I'm continually making them known to you, and in making them known to you, I pray that the love that you have for me, they might have for me. Yeah, that same love. Where does that come from? Where does a deep love for Jesus come from? It comes from the Father, right? It comes from the Father. It is an active work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to bring greater love and greater desire and we've got to ask for it, and we've got to keep asking for it. We've got to ask that, that the, the prayers of the Lord Jesus would be effective in our lives, and we've got to pray, Lord Jesus, make the Father known. Let me know him better. Let me see him for who he is. Let me see him in his glory so that I might worship him and fall more and more in love with him, and I might have a desire for him more than I have today. Are you with me? All right. Let's see. We've got several minutes here. Let's close like this. Close like this. Would you uh, bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? We're just going to take just a, the last few minutes of our time here together. Here's what I'd like to do today as we enter service today. Um, you can't make a commitment today that you're going to love God now for the rest of your life and never struggle with this again. It, it doesn't happen like that. This is a continual struggle because we, are, we, we have a, a, a broken, sinful nature. And this is something that is, is going to require some, some, some uh, discipline and some active work of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life from here on out until we're, until we're done with these bodies. But what I am asking for is if you would like the Lord to do this in your life, if you'd like him to bring greater knowledge of God, make greater knowledge of himself, and a greater love for Jesus in your life, would you, if that's been lacking in your life, would you do me a favor with every, everybody just close their eyes and their heads? Would you just raise your hand? I'd like to pray for you. Would you just raise your hand. We're going to ask the Lord to do these things that, that, uh, that Paul was praying for and that Jesus was praying for. We're going to pray. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, well, we do pray that by your spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you would help us to know you better. Because, Father, we believe that when we know you better, we, we begin to see you in your glory and your majesty. We begin to understand more about your mercy and your love and your magnificence, Lord God. And, and we can't help but believe that, that uh, if we can just see you more, Lord God, that our, our hearts will be changed, that we'll stop chasing after other things that are, that are unfulfilling and unsatisfying, and we'll, we'll put you in your right place, Lord God, as, a, as the love of our lives, uh, as, the, as the one who's supreme. And, and we'll have you at that place, Lord God, where we seek you above everything else. Lord God, not only do we pray that you might bring a greater knowledge of yourself to us, Lord God, but we also pray, Father, this morning 
that you would bring the, the love that the Father has for you, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would put that in our hearts. Would you put that love in our hearts, Lord God, that we might love him better, that we might be more obedient, that we might be uh, more effective, Lord, when we, when we have our quiet times. Lord, I pray that they would be the greatest times of our day as we seek and chase and pursue you, Lord God. Father, Lord, when, when, uh, when things get difficult, when things press in, when time presses in, Lord God, I just pray that you would remind us over and over and over again, we've got to know him better. All these other things are distractions compared to this one great thing, that I might gain Christ. Lord God, we just confess to you now, you are the great treasure. You are the, the pearl of great value. You're the treasure in the field, Lord God. And we worship you for who you are. Lord God, you are more than enough. You're all that we desire, Lord God, I pray. Uh, be at the right place in our life. Be at the supreme spot, the supreme place, that, that seat in our life, Lord God. And, and Lord, we pray that you would rule and reign there and that you would be the desire of our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. Listen, Lord bless you this week. I'll have a great week. Um, Wednesday night, if you would like to come and, uh, do, and talk about baptism class, we'll do that after service Wednesday night. And baptism next week will be a great time. I'll be here. Thank you.